but there, you know, when you're in business together, it's like a marriage, you know, yeah. it's give and take and feelings get hurt and their disappointments. And uh, you reach a point where you're not in a marriage. You never say that I'm through, but in business, you can say, this is it. Hello and welcome to the Proclamation Podcast. My name is Luke Nolan. I'm your host today, and I'm joined by my wonderful grandmother, Joan Connolly. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. You bet. Um, I wanted to have you on the podcast because you've been one of the most influential people in my life when it comes to business, and you, I know that you don't feel that way <laughs> and don't um, accept that sometimes when I say it, but there are a few things that you told me when I started in business that I've never forgotten and have really helped me um, not let people take advantage of me and also to stay focused. And that's been a huge influence. And so I wanted to share your wisdom with our viewers. And I also wanted to hear some of your story that maybe I haven't heard and maybe maybe even people in our family haven't heard that you would want to tell. Be. <laughs> um, so thank you for being here and sharing your time. I am pleased to be able to be here. Were you nervous ex accepting the invitation to be on the podcast? Strangely enough, no. That's awesome. <laughs> if I'm I glad. walk into a, a room of people and don't know anyone, I am so insecure. But sit me in front of a group that's going to listen to me, and I do fine with it. I, I think great. I do fine with it. You'll find out before this is over. <laughs> But I, I am that. not, I'm not nervous about it. It's so much fun to be with you, Luke. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here over the years. Um, we've had some really amazing conversations one-on-one -on -one, um, with other people in the room and sometimes just the two of us. And those have shaped me as a person. And one of the goals of our podcast is to encourage people in how they're shaping their lives and how they're interacting with other people and so um, I know that, you know, talking to a lot of people, they haven't had those opportunities to have that relationship with their grandparents or even their parents. And so um, I want to encourage people who haven't had those relationships um, on how they can maybe connect with people who've had more life experience and can encourage them in that way. And so I really appreciate you being willing to, to share that with us. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So we always start with coffee because we're at a coffee okay. shop. So I want to ask you, uh -huh. what is your first coffee memory? Uh, this goes way back. But when uh, I was a young girl and, and there were stores that had counters where you could uh, like Woolworths and Cressus. Does that mean anything to you? No. Nope. It will to the older people listening. What is but, what is it likened to today? Like Rite Aid or uh, Walmart? Or? No, it was a variety store. And then downstairs they had counters okay. where they sold food. And I, when I went with my parents, I went with my dad on lunchtime. Sometimes we worked together at the telephone company and we'd walk mm -hmm. down to Woolworths and have lunch. He was a big spender. <laughs> and uh, we'd sit there and have lunch. But when I went with my mom, I'd always order a soft drink 
because that was a real treat. But she ordered coffee, and I used to think she can make coffee at home. Why, is Why she would ordering she coffee? pay for it here? I never quite got that. Was it expensive, too, in relation to how you can make it at home? Well, it might have been 10 cents a cup. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows? I have no idea what it cost at home, but I know that she made several cups at a time. I could not make soft drinks at home. Yeah. So when I went to the counter, I got something that I couldn't get at home, but she always got coffee. Wow. Did you ever try it? Not that I can remember. When did you first start drinking coffee that you remember? uh, As a young Mary, we lived in a neighborhood where the gals got together for coffee every morning. And uh, I think the coffee I made might have looked like tea at the time. Because unless you're drinking it, you don't know what the strength needs to be. And uh, I used to hear remarks from them about, is that coffee? Oh, well. Because they thought it was tea. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I eventually learned how to do it. I don't know where I got into it, but uh, now I'm hooked. Yeah. And especially when I'm here. (laughs) That's good. What do you drink at Fourscore? I drink maple latte. Okay. My grandson recommended it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I love love, uh, the things that we offer that are natural, like the honey or the maple syrup. Because it's just so simple, and it's funny because people come in and they, they're like, "I've never heard of that, or never thought of that." Not not anymore, but when we first opened, you know, to be like maple latte, what's that? It just seems so easy. You just put maple syrup, make a drink. Should I accidentally happen to be in another coffee place, I don't quite know what to order because they don't have okay. it. Okay, <laughs> maybe vanilla. Um. When you were talking about the ladies coming to your house, it reminded me of a story that you told me once um, because you and grandpa never smoked, correct? Right. But when you guys were young marrieds, you had an ashtray in your home because other people smoked. Tell me about what that was like and how did that change, you know, as people discovered that cigarettes were bad for you and stuff. You know, it, it was absolutely a way of life. You didn't have a party. Uh, playing cards, you always had a small ashtray on the card table. Just if you were entertaining, sitting around the living room, the coffee table. Yeah. I had a great big, I think it was called Blanco glassware, heavy colored glassware that was an ashtray that was always available for people who smoked. Even though you didn't smoke. Yeah, uh, the neighbors did. Yeah, I, I must admit, I tried it in college. In the student union and playing bridge, I dropped out of college and got married. And that Where might did you be go to the college. Reason. Well, just to Sacramento City College. Okay, but uh, I only went for three semesters, and when I was eighteen, I got married, and so I quit all those bad habits, including college. <laughs> in go- including college, yes. Where did you? Where were you born, and where did you grow up? I was born in Stockton, California. Grew up there until I was in junior high school. Okay. And then I graduated from McClatchy High School. That's still standing. Yeah. Yeah. Is that where you met Grandpa? Uh, no, he was in the service when his sister and I got to be really good friends mm-hmm. through high school. And when he came home on leave, he would drive us where we needed to go. And after a while, he just kept. Dropping her off and driving me. And like I said, I I was 18 when I got married. So when we first started uh, going out together, I was 15. 
That's a good age to pick out your future husband. We have so much. <laughs> Do you recommend that to other people? <laughs> uh, I would be horrified if yeah. one of my granddaughters wanted to get married at at age eighteen and even started serious dating at age fifteen. Sure. But you know that was a different world then. These were young men that were coming back from having been in the war, and they were ready to settle down. Yeah. And we were young girls who hadn't had much chance to date, and it was exciting and fun to go out with. And um, his family knew my family. They were yeah. friends in the same church, and so he wasn't a total stranger. And we just dated for three years, and then we got married. That's still quite a long time to date. It is. It yeah. was. Yes. I guess you couldn't have got married earlier anyways, really. Well, but. But I was not the first of my classmate to get married. There were a couple really? of other gals that got married before me. But it was kind of the thing that we did then. Yeah. And now it just seems absurd. It does. 18. Yeah. Well, that's why the marriage only lasted 67 years. Only. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you, um, do you think that people have changed or expectations have changed? And that's why it's different. Because you said that the men were coming back from the war um, and they wanted to settle down. So do you think it was the people who were getting married or the expectations of what people should get out of marriage? I think that um, they wanted to start building a family. I think they missed family. Yeah. And uh, with my husband, he was went right to college then. And you're dating in college and getting married just was... He went away out of the state to go to college and would come home on weekends, and it was just easier for him to marry me and have him go there with him. Yeah. And so uh, things were so different then, Luke. It was, uh, gosh, now um, some people don't get a college, and I think I had five kids by the time I was 29, and I think that some kids don't even finish college by the time they're 29. That's and, very true. Uh, I haven't finished college yet. And yeah, I'm 33. I know I remember that. But you've had many other, you've yeah. gone to a different kind other of adventures. college. The college of real life. Yeah. And, yeah. So you talked about for a second being a mom of five. That's That's a big task. And a lot of people like to, throw out there you know being a mom is full-time job well you've had full-time jobs running your own business and yeah. you've been, and you've been a mom as right. a full-time job right. what are the things that you what are the the big differences and how did you just navigate those challenges of the differences you know either one of them you've got to love it i wanted so much to be a part of a big family i had one sister so your family was small. Yeah, small family. And I used to read books about large families. And that was just my heart's desire. So yeah. having a family, one baby at a time, <laughs> all of a sudden there were five. And my oldest was eight when the fifth one came along. Wow. So they were pretty tightly bunched. Yeah. And um, I loved every minute of it. I really did love. Being a mom, I wasn't the best mom. I was a procrastinator. I would rather sit down and read a book 
then change a diaper, and finally he sure. got so, okay, the essentials take over. But uh, some women are so efficient as mothers. I was not one of those, but we had a lot of fun. And to me, that's what being a mom was enjoying your kids. Yeah. And uh, I see my daughters doing that with their kids. Your mom loves being with you guys. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Warms my heart when I see that happen. And uh, your Aunt Christy is just being such a good grandma separated from her kids during the pandemic. I am amazed at all the fun things she works out to do with them by distance. But wow. it's that's in her too. Yeah. Loves being a mom, loves enjoying the kids. And so that job just was natural. You know, they come along and you enjoy them. Sure. And all of a sudden they start leaving the nest. And uh, we left the town where we raised our family when my youngest daughter, that's your mom, graduated from high school. And we moved to Tahoe, and that's where I started my business. What was your business? I um, was able to have a business that was around my second love, and that was fabric. I have always enjoyed fabric. I had a great aunt that was a milliner, and I used to play with scraps. What is a milliner? She makes hats. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and she did quilts, too. And um, unfortunately, my mother's mother died when my mom was very young, five years old. And oh, wow. So her maidenette, that's what we called an unmarried woman in those days. She raised my mom and wow. she sewed. I never knew that. And uh, yeah, um, your Aunt Christy has finished some of the quilts that great Aunt Ida started. Whoa. Yeah, that goes way back. So, so your mom, my great grandma, was mostly raised by her aunt. Yes. Wow. Yes, and uh, and she had two daughters, my sister and myself. And my sister had four children, and I had five. So that bumped so up both, the population. You both had bigger families. We did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you think that? Your parents would have had more kids? It wasn't the, no, my, not my parents, maybe other parents. Or I'm sorry, would, your, um, yes, your parents. Yeah. It, it was, it was really kind of frowned on in those days. Hmm. And, um, to have a lot of kids. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, uh and that was through the depression, uh, things and like other that. Another mouth to feed. And, uh, my mother did not enjoy having babies. She really didn't even want the second one, but I'm fortunate that she changed her mind. Yeah, and, we all and, are. Uh, but uh, they were happy with two, two kids. And, uh, and there were a few families that I went to school with that had, had three or four brothers or sisters. Mm. But um, on the whole, usually there were one or two. A lot yeah. of single, only children, you know. Only one child, but wow. um, in different times. Uh, but then when I was having. I think people it, are kind of in that now of only wanting to have right. maybe one or two kids. 
But when I was having my babies, I was not unusual to have another one and another one and another one. A lot of friends had three or four kids. Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't strange. No, people didn't look at us and wonder. Yeah. Why we had all those kids. But <laughs> I loved every minute of it. I really did. What about running your business? What did you love about that? I just. Or hate about um, it. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I really enjoyed that immensely. I had always sewn like my two daughters. I joke and say that we were all vaccinated with a sewing machine needle. <laughs> and um, uh, I just loved working with fabric. And I can remember buying my first yard of fabric for 10 cents a yard. Again, in Woolworths or Cresses, which were yeah. variety stores. And those, there was a chain of those, I'm assuming. Yeah, they okay. both were chain stores. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I could make a dress for under a dollar. Wow. And now you, <laughs> you can't even buy a spool of thread for under a dollar. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I always enjoyed working with fabric. My mother sewed beautifully. During the Depression, she did dressmaking to supplement my folks' income. Um, the Depression was a time really hard for a lot of people. Fortunately, sure. my dad worked for the telephone company, and he was able to keep his job through the Depression. Very uh, Hours were cut, so his income was cut, but my mother supplemented it sewing. And she just taught my sister and me how to sew. It wasn't uh, now let's sit down and learn type thing. We just watched her and we knew how to do it. And when it was our turn, we'd finish something. So I always liked fabric and mm. going into a fabric store, um, what I would liken it to a gardener going into a uh, garden store. Yeah. Going into a nursery. Yes, thank you. That's the word, Luke. Yeah. Every now and then the word escapes me. <laughs> I think it happens to all of us. It's not just you. But, and to this day, in fact, I'm planning on taking a, a trip in not too long. And one of the first things I looked up was what fabric stores were in the area. And I have a closet full of unsewn fabric. But you can always have more. It's just the idea. It's like, uh, I used to have a customer that complained about or said that her husband complained about her collecting fabric, and it bothered her till she realized he collected stamped and he never mailed letters with them. Yeah. So I just justify that hobby. But um, if I made a garment every week for the rest of my life, I would not run out of fabric, but wow. I'll buy more anyway. Yeah. So the idea of having a fabric store was beyond my expectation. I would have been happy to just work in a fabric yeah. store, but that was never an opportunity. But uh, what was the question? You answered the question, <laughs> but I? I have another question, which oh, okay. is, did, did owning a business that was your passion at home, did it make your passion wane at all? Did you start to Not kind of feel like this is my bit. job? No. Wow. No, every... Do you think people need to hear that? Because I think that a lot of people think if I do what I love as work, then I won't love it anymore. Well, my feeling about starting a business, you start with something you love. 
and it because it remains a passion. I believe that's just my opinion. I agree. Uh, I I still enjoy going in other people's fabric stores everywhere I go. That's what I look for. I'm looking for unique fabrics, but also the way they display it, the way they encourage me. You know, in my mind, I'm still an entrepreneur. Maybe there's still a fabric store waiting for me to own it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, I've never lost, lost my passion for it. But I think some people start a business because it comes as an opportunity and they take the opportunity to take over the business, but they don't have a passion yeah. for what the product is. And mm-hmm. um, I I loved fabric, and I still do. I, I belong to a couple of called wearable art groups where we take fabric and manipulate it to make interesting garments. I do some practical sewing still. But uh, I just love working with fabric. And so being in the store and my location where the store was, I don't know that you ever got to see. No, I never got to see it. Tell us about that. Well, it was on the shore of Lake Tahoe. (laughs) Not bad. Upstairs over Jake's restaurant in Tahoe City, overlooking the lake and the marina with all the boats. And so I, you had a pretty good view every day. It was wonderful. And it, and it was such a good um, retail space because people would wander. It was on the far side of a small mall, and people would wander back to look at the lake. And then the women or the daughter would say, oh, look, a fabric store. And it was very good for business. So you had a lot of impulse sales. Uh, we did. In addition to, I'm sure you built up a clientele of regulars. Uh, yeah, in a community like Tahoe City, are we going to talk about that now? Is that yeah. okay? If I yeah, go on? Tahoe City is a very um, seasonal community. Okay. And during the summer, business is wonderful. During the ski season, business is wonderful. And then you have months like March and kind October. Kind of the in-between times. And, uh, where you have to generate your own sales. But there are ways of doing that. We put out a newsletter and we made sample garments. We, we were able to display. We had a nice display window just to play garments. Did you have that classes we, too, like for people oh, to yeah, learn? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, that was the other money maker. And yeah. uh, most stores now, if, um, if a teacher teaches a class, the store takes a percentage of the fee. Sure. And that's good business for the store, but we owned the store. So if we taught a class, we kept kept all the money. And that was fun for me because as a housewife, and I use the word reluctantly, but that's what I was in those days, a housewife. I didn't have my own income and my husband was in charge of our finances. So um, in the store, it still was our money, but the classes I taught were my money. And I had a little envelope in the drawer, and there were other stores in the Lamal, one children's store where I could go buy things for my grandchildren yeah. and make the decision and spend the money in. There's nothing like doting on your grandchildren. Oh, yes, it was wonderful. 
Uh, you know, and making sample garments for them. And uh, yeah. it was a, a sweet mall to be in the early days. Uh, we were just blessed to be there. But um, anyway, um, I, I liked teaching also. And my partner taught quilting classes. And okay. this was right at the beginning of the quilting movement. And that was right around the bicentennial, which was 1976. Okay. And um, quilting became a thing. And she was excellent at picking out colors and showing people. Um, she had been an art teacher in high school, so she did that very well. I had sewn all my life, so I really understood cons clothing construction and things like that. So we had our areas that we taught, and we generated our own classes, and we really supplemented the retail business, not just through sales, but through the classes. And yeah. um, even though we kept the class fee money ourselves, those classes generated a lot of sales. And <clears throat> I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, so it kept the store going. And we really, we were open for about nine years. I was going to ask you when you open and when you close. Yeah. So. And, uh <clears throat> We also opened a yarn. Did you sell it or did you just close we it? We sold it. You did sell it? Yes. Uh, we were fortunate we found a buyer because um, if we hadn't sold it, <laughs> my husband lived in fear. I would want to bring all, all the, fabric the home. leftover fabric home. About fear. <laughs> so luckily we found a buyer for it. We had in the meantime opened up a small yarn store. She liked to knit. Okay. And so we were able to have um, the space we rented first for fabric store classes, and then they took it over as a yarn store. And then they um, decided they just wanted to do the yarn store. I managed the fabric store for another year until we found After a, you sold it. Oh, oh, until no, you until we found a, a buyer for it. And Was it hard selling a business? Uh, yes, we didn't know until the last minute because it had to do with the lease. The The prospective buyer did not renew the lease, mm. and so they couldn't take over that space, and it was a prime space. So they moved the store to the other end of the building, and I think they only lasted maybe two years. It's that. amazing how many people think they can buy a thriving business and continue to make it thrive, but they don't always take into account how much the people who already own it have done to make it thrive. And, and, uh, sometimes they take it over just because they think it might be a fun thing to do or a money-making business. We got into it because we had a passion. It was for your it. passion. And I was fortunate to have a partner who shared that passion and who was, had more business savvy than I did. I did not know the first thing about starting a business. How did you start it? With, I mean, did you have your own capital? Did you have to get a loan? Do we, you remember all those you know, details? We were just fortunate. Um, the way it started was, um, I'll backtrack a little bit, um, we were um, had a circle of friends, and one of the ladies wanted me to make a garment for her, and I did, and then another one, and she said, you ought to start your own business dressmaking, and I was thinking about that, 
because I love to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, I had taken a job in another field that I was not equipped for. And that's always good to get out of that. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was thinking about renting a space to do dressmaking and alterations when one of the husbands in the group said, you know, there's going to be a new mall come in. Have you considered a space like that? And um, he came by to show me the layout of the mall. So it, was, it wasn't even built yet? No. Wow. No. It, it was up but not finished. We bought the raw space or leased the raw yeah. space, and it was great. That's a huge um, risk, risk because you don't know what the demographic's going to be or yeah, the traffic. Yeah, but that, you know, we thought that lake was probably here to stay. Yeah, it, was, it definitely so, was. Uh, uh, anyway, um, the next uh, day, his wife came up to me and said, you know, I would like to be a partner. And I didn't know what she was talking about or what she meant. She said, in your store. <laughs> and I, oh, I said, explain a little bit more. And she said, well, I've wanted to do a business. And I think the fabric store. Were you guys about the same age? Uh, yep. Okay. Close. Uh, and uh, so we we met together, talked it over, and decided we would go into business together and rent this space. And uh, they had been in business for themselves before, so they mm. had wisdom about starting a business, getting the licenses and all that. And um, uh, the husband took care of all that, and I was grateful for that because I didn't even know where to start. But I did know fabric and I had been longing to be involved in the fabric business. And so I made contacts in the fabric world. Yeah. And they made contacts in the business world. Wow. And that good partnership. Turn, it really did turn out to be a good partnership. They had, Were you 50 50 right off the bat? Uh, as far as income and, or input? Or your ownership? Ownership, yeah. Right from the very That's beginning. Good. One of the things when we started out, and I do want to share this, they said that it's so easy to start a business with someone else. But the hard part is when one or the other wants to get out of the business. Yeah. Because you don't both get to that point at the same time. Right. No, you might, circumstance might bring you to that. Sure. Un unforeseen. Right. But, um, when you are ready to leave the business, unless your partner is also, it's a sticky wicket. Yeah. And so they laid out their plans very carefully about what it would take for one partner to That's leave good. the business. A lot of people don't do that. And they knew that that was important. Unfortunately, they were the first ones to want to leave the business and tried to talk us into other ways of doing it. And my husband had his own set of wisdom and said, this is it. This is the way it's written. And so he made them stick to the original agreement. Yes. Yes. And uh, and we did not part good friends because of that. Yeah. But that's, Which is odd because you would think that the whole reason of putting it down in writing is so that you don't have an emotional right. debate about it, but you just go to the documents and say, this is how we, how we do it. Yeah. But there, you know, when you're in business together, it's like a marriage, you know, yeah. it's give and take and feelings get hurt and their disappointments. And, um, uh, you reach a point where 
not in a marriage. You never say that I'm through. But in business, you can say, this is it. And we had reasons for seeing that selling the business might be the best thing to do. Uh, Living at Tahoe has a lot of challenges, and we had elderly parents back down in Sacramento. We wanted to be near and them. grandchildren that were coming along. And so we decided that leaving the area and moving back down into the Sacramento area was probably a good move for us. Yeah. And so it, it worked out all right. They're happy now. My partner was extremely talented with knitting, and she teaches internationally. You know, she has sailed far beyond than she would have if she stuck with me. That's great. But I'm a happy camper. Yeah. <laughs> I have been able to teach classes, volunteer basis in the communities that I've lived in, and I just love sharing things with people and teaching them how to do it. I don't do it for financial reasons. I do sure. it for the love of sharing and seeing someone pick up on something that I know how to do and because I've showed them how to do it. Do you, um, do you think that a lot of people miss the personal connection between themselves and their clothing because they always just purchase clothing from a store and they don't understand what it takes to create something? I think they have a, a real misunderstanding about the cost of, we'll say, homemade garments or custom-made garments. Yeah. Somehow they feel, because they're not professionally made or commercially made, that they should be less expensive. And Which uh, is odd, because if, if a custom woodworker built a table, you would always think, oh, that's going to be much more expensive. In the other field. Yeah. But because women sew at home, because it's a money-saving thing, um, a customer feels that they should share in that money-saving thing. Yeah. And, and it's really the opposite. It's risky mm. sewing for someone else. You know, and then they don't like it, and you've spent hours. You can spend a lot of time sure. doing sewing for others. And so um, I never got tired of sewing for myself, but I don't enjoy sewing for other people at all. And it's work. Yeah. But for myself, for my grandchildren, it's fun. And uh, I've never tired of that. Where in other businesses, I, you might get tired of doing yeah. that. But, um, I, I think a lot of people don't understand how much work it takes to produce any type of product. And so when um, that was actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you is um, running your own business, making your own products, how does it change your view or how has it changed your view of other business? When you walk into a business, for example, when you came into my business, you see things that other people don't see. How has that helped you in the way that you've consumed? Because you, now you're more a consumer. And so how, how have you changed your behavior or how do, you, how do you view businesses differently having run your own business yeah. and knowing the challenges that are happening behind the scenes that no one else can see? Uh, there are in a couple of directions. Uh, one is the product itself. Um, uh, there are some stores that are really pricey. Can I mention the name of a yeah, store? Yeah, that's or not? fine. Uh, like Anthropology. Sure. They, if you can buy a blouse in there and pay one hundred and fifty dollars for it, 
and people just are horrified. I look at the way it's constructed, and I see the work that's gone into it and the design and the quality of the fabric. And <clears throat> you can go to Walmart and buy a simple garment that is serviceable, and you know, you'll get just as much pleasure out of it as you will. So I do that for basic things. You know, for a T-shirt, I'm not going to make a T-shirt. I can buy yeah. one for $9.99 at Walmart. Are you saying some of the really expensive stuff isn't made quality or is made quality? Is incredibly. Is. Got you. No. So the, people look at that 150 and think, why is it so expensive? But they you, don't, you can see what's gone they into don't see the, the details. Way, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm talking over you. Um, no. They don't see the way the seams are finished. They don't see the quality of the fiber that the garment is made from. And they don't see the handwork that's gone into it. And a lot of the ones... It's not machined. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, when I look at ready to wear things, first of all, I look at the design and the construction. Is it complicated? Sometimes yeah. I'll steal that idea when I make a garment because that's part of it is the design. Yeah. And um, so I appreciate that in a garment. And I appreciate the quality of the fabric. And so my love of clothing has not changed. And my love of fabric has not changed. But it's more fun now because I can yeah. pick out things and combine them for my use in the store if we made a sample that had buttons down the front of it at first i would just use buttons that i had at home and then a customer comes in wants to buy the pattern the fabric where are the buttons oh shoot yeah <laughs> they the were details. out of my button box and they can't see another button on that and so it limited your creativity to what you had available for the customer to duplicate. Not all customers are that way. There are a lot yeah. of creative women out there. But now I'm in a group where I can use fabric I've had for 20 years if it works with the garment I'm trying to put together. Wow. And it's fun to be able to do that. So I love making my own clothes in that way and making them a little bit unique. Uh, uh, just fun for me putting fabrics together I, I like the idea too of and i think this is sort of a purely hipster viewpoint of having a style and having garments that are unique to you as a person and that no one else has i do too in fact i thought it over today coming here right, you're have... wearing some garments that you've made aren't you no i am no these are all commercial okay. garments <laughs> and i i have the three sort of jackets that are uh, ones that I've put together, combined the fabrics and everything. I thought, oh, that's too over the top. He's not going to talk You'll about have to wear that for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's fun to be able to do things like that. I don't do it to get compliments. I think a lot of people misjudge why you sure. do things. But I'm always happy to get compliments. But I do it to please me. And if I don't like it, the way it turns out, that's okay. Yeah. I've liked the challenge of making it. And 
some things turn out much better than you think they're going to. And I think that's true, whether it's building a house yeah. or building a garment. And uh, I don't use lumber. I just use fiber. Yeah. But I love I really love every minute of it. That's one thing I've I've really appreciated about um, my grandparents being craftsmen and just learning how to uh, take your time and appreciate things. And uh, it doesn't always have to be fast, but it does have to be done right. Your grandfather was that way with wood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, my brother has picked up on that much more than me. He's much more of more of a craftsman and I'm a little more in a hurry. But Your grandfather couldn't make coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's my advantage. I can make really good coffee. Yes. Um, I think that a lot of people uh, are caught up in what's fast and what's uh, easy, what's cheap. And because of that, they lose appreciation for quality. And then they are wondering why, why are things falling apart or why don't things um, aren't, why aren't things sustainable? That's one of the things I was thinking about as you've been talking is how a lot of people are concerned now about the impact that we're having on our environment and on the planet by constantly producing new things and not, uh, reusing things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I want to bring attention to something that's in our surroundings, which is this coffee can. And I don't know if you remember, but you gave me that. (laughs) And I was thinking about the fact that that's metal and it's Mm -hmm. super old. Yeah. And um, I'm sure that people at one point looked at that and thought, well, that's too expensive to put coffee in a metal can or that's not sustainable to put coffee in a metal can. But I mean, we have people purchasing coffee in paper bags that go to the waste by the by the millions and yet this will last beyond both of us because it's metal and it could be refilled again and again and taken to someone's home and and so i think that maybe people are starting to realize that we need to kind of revert back to some of that there there is a movement in the sewing world now called upcycling upcycling yeah Buying a thrift store garment and repurposing it, combining two or three thrift store garments or taking a garment of your own and putting it, uh, adding to it or recutting it or uh, just upcycling it in making the, in fact, I almost wore the upcycle jean jacket that I have <laughs> that I've added stuff onto. And I thought, no, I want to be plain and simple. I don't want to just track Oh, well, next time. Next time. <laughs> but that, that is but a big... But that's a movement. Uh, they're really... Yes, absolutely. Uh, as I said, I belong to two groups that are called wearable art groups. And we make garments uh, for the creative side of it, not, not just stylish, but uh, some of our beautiful, beautiful craftsmen that are yeah. in that. But when, uh, we usually start the year with challenges, you know, make something in black and white or make something out of uh, a different Gives type the of group direction and focus. Yes. Too. And one of them is upcycled. And uh, so everyone will make a garment that they have upcycled. And it's just really fun when we get together and see how people have taken these challenges. Are you and usually surprised by people's creativity? I am amazed by people's creativity. It is just so much fun to see what some people mm-hmm. can 
do with something that you wear every day that's pretty ordinary and all of a sudden it's like wow look yeah. look what she did with that it's just fun to see i i think again it's just i i think another bigger lesson of people stretching their minds and being creative instead of just purchasing something and putting it on and going about their day and may, maybe they go create something else but um, I think that I, I was listening to someone who was talking about how in your when you wake up and you've had a dream, there are all these very small details that you remember from your dream, and it's because in your dream in in your dream state, your mind is much more active than any other time, and so you see all of these details in your dream state that you don't when you're awake. And so they were saying that one of the ways you can, if you feel like your mind is becoming sluggish, one of the ways that you can become more attentive or um, that you can become more alert is to notice a lot of details. And so to, as you're just walking about your home or your work, to just notice details and consciously think about them. And that can help sharpen your mind for whatever else you need to do. And I thought that was really fascinating. And I think a lot of people have lost um, they've lost a sense of their surroundings. They're not very aware of what's I going on. Right. Yeah. And so I think the more that we can, I think that's why people appreciate artisans like us because they see that we have attention to something specific, coffee, fabric. We're looking at something and saying, how can we be very, very intentional with the details of the product? Woodworkers are a great example of that too, on such a big scale. You know, it's hard to work with a big piece of lumber and yeah. get it down to what you want to make out of it. But uh, uh, if a man walks into a store where there's unusual furniture, um, every August there used to be a, uh, an event down in San Francisco put on by the American Craft Council. Mm. It's fallen by the wayside with the uh, COVID, but maybe sure. it'll come back. But they had lots of garments, that uh, creative garments that women have made, uh, lots of jewelry. But one of the bills, and my husband walked with me slowly through this, you know, trying to be nice, let Joan look at what she wants to see. Well, he and his oldest son walked into the next building, and it was woodworking. <laughs> and they almost went out. out of their minds. Did you see this? Wow. Just fascinated by it. And I think it's wonderful when people appreciate the craftsmanship that goes into items that are handmade that you might not even be aware of and this is someone's creativity, someone's idea to begin with, and someone has executed it, and, yeah. and there it is. Sometimes the price tag is huge, and you think, ooh, I would never pay that for that item. But you can't judge creativity by the dollar sign no. on it. There's been many times in business and in life as well, in general, where people have insisted that I discard something because they want to replace it with something else or because they think it's in the way or, you know, add whatever reason. 
And I often look at, well, what would it take to replace that product? And usually it's, it's not monetary. Sometimes it could be, but are we just doing it because we're tired of it? Can we change it in some way? Can we move it to another part of the house or the business? Yes. Is, is there, what, why are we doing it? Is it just because, and and sometimes people are new to the environment, so they want to kind of make their mark and affect change. Let's get rid of all these things. And so one of the, one of my kind of mantras has been don't do work twice. So if we get rid of that table and we're going to replace it with another table, that's just twice the work. if its function is to be a table and it's doing that fine, I don't care how it looks. It needs to just fulfill the, the function of being a table. And so let's not do the work twice, spend twice the money just because we want to change something um, or we want to move things around because we're bored. And so it's, it's helped, I think, us with our efficiency of just, you know what? Let's just leave things the way that they are. Yeah. But but we need to do this and we need to do that. Well, why? Well, because we're bored or because, and so we've learned not to do that anymore. And we're, it's always a struggle when new people come in, but it's something I try to teach. Don't do the work twice. Yeah. Someone else already made it. We don't that's need to make great. it again. No, that that's just a great way to look at it. Yeah. If it's a problem, you can modify it, but that doesn't mean you necessarily get rid of it. You modify it so it works yeah oh i have i have a friend who has purchased about eight different bed spreads each one perfect for her room each one is perfect for a bed spread to sleep under or yeah. have in your room i've had the same one for about 10 years so i love it it does the job i'm not unhappy with the way it looks and i every time i go to her house not There's every time, one. but over and over again. Look at my new bedspread, and it looks great. No, it's an improvement. But and she gets great satisfaction out of it. I don't need to diminish that. For some people, it's almost necessary to make changes. Yeah. But change just for change's sake is not necessary in life. I think some people they just enjoy getting new things, and I think some people are dissatisfied inwardly and therefore that is a way that they're expressing that it sounds like your friend just likes changing it up she does but i know that there are a lot of young people who maybe could benefit from hearing your answer to this question which is how can we be content with what we have and not always try to um, be changing things in order to fulfill an inner need yeah I think maybe sometimes it's to choose more wisely when you first get something. Wow. Don't uh, reach for the bright, shiny object. Or the first thing that comes along. Right, that, uh, that catches your eye. And think about how long am I going to like this? Do I have things that are going to work with this? Um, you know, will it be enduring? Will it meet my needs in... in time to come you know those are maybe decisions we are such a materialistic country yeah that uh i think that we are so well that's why advertising is so big you know how many people that bought a new car really needed a new car it's funny you say that because i 
have a Toyota. It's a 2018, so it's two years old. And I got a call from them yesterday, and they said, hey, just checking in, making sure everything's great, going well with your your Toyota. Yeah, it's great. And I'm coming there next week to have service done, which is probably why they called me. You know, I'm sure they have their little system. Right. And so this young man was, I could tell he was much younger than me. And he was trying to figure out, always trying to figure out the next, to keep the conversation going. And so it started out with, well, you know, have you, uh, do you have any needs for another vehicle? No, I'm, I'm doing fine. (laughs) Well, um, have you thought about trading in your, your, Corolla for a newer car? And I said, you mean my 2018? It's practically <laughs> brand new. And he, he said, but, but Mr. Nolan, um, you, you could be driving a newer car. And I, crazy? Said, I said, you know what, Ryan, on a hot day when the car heats up on the inside, I still get the new car smell. So I'm not going to be trading it in. <laughs> and he laughed. And then he said, well, have you heard about our, um, our new vehicle that comes with a $10,000 gas card. Yeah. The Mirari where you, there's only one place to fill it up and it's at the Toyota dealership. And he said, well, well they're building new stations all the time. And, you know, and he was trying so hard. And the, the last one was that he said, well, you know, we have a deal going right now, Mr. Nolan, where if you, uh, if you buy a new Prius, we give you $5,000 back. And I said, my wife will divorce me if I get a Prius. Well, why is that, Mr. Nolan? Because she likes gasoline and she likes to go fast. (laughs) And he laughed and he said, well, it doesn't sound like like there's anything we can do for you. And I said, no, you guys have done a lot. You've done a great (laughs) job. I I don't need a new car. My car's got 40,000 miles on it and it's going 200 more. So thank you, but I don't need a new bright, shiny car. Right. I've already done that and it turned out poorly. But how many people out there, I'm inclined to say men, but women are suckers for well, it Well, Grandpa too. did that, right? He got, he liked to get new vehicles. Um, not, no, he used them a little bit longer than you're than talking two about. Years. <laughs> yeah, he was a little more frugal than that, but he never bought a used vehicle. They were yeah. always new vehicles. And they were nice. And, they smelled nice. Yeah. And... Uh, and that was that was it. But uh, I, I do feel in so many areas, just homes are an example. Also, yeah. uh, I watched that the house hunters program, where some couples go through in uh, a sixty-year-old house with two bedrooms and one and a half bathrooms, and they say, "Oh, isn't this?" Great. This now Susie can have this room and Johnny can have that room. And you know, they're in their mind, this house is going to work. And then there'll be another couple that will walk into a mini mansion and look around and say, Well, this will never do. I've got to have the tile removed from the kitchen because it has to be granite. Uh, Like, Tile can't hold the dirty dishes. It sure. has to be granite for them. You know, and if people want to live that way, that's their business. But I do think as a culture, we've gone way too far in that direction. And, uh, but it still sells. <laughs> um, my cousin, he bought his first home and next door, uh, it was the original owners. They'd own it for 60 years. 
and they finally they sold it and moved wherever and the people who bought it uh, were going to flip it so they put in new cabinets new countertops new floors they painted and then they sold it you know they made a, a ton of money and they they sold it uh, maybe like eight months to a year later and the people who bought it came in and they ripped everything out and redid it all. Oh no. And it was just amazing because they paid a premium over what that house was worth, you know, a year before because they wanted to change everything or, and, and then they ended up spending more money changed. changing everything. Yeah. Um, and it's just, just crazy, you know? Yeah. It's so true. Everybody wants it their way. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And have a sip of coffee, and then we'll come back and finish up with two more questions. Okay. All right. All right, Luke. Welcome back to the Proclamation Podcast. I am your host, Luke Nolan, and we are here with our guest, Joan Connolly. That's my me. grandma. <laughs> more importantly, um, thank you for being here. I am honored to be invited. And we've been having a great conversation so far. And I want to ask you a few more questions, if that's all right. Okay. Um, so the first question I want to ask you is, um, right now we're in the midst of a pandemic. And yes. COVID has been pretty crazy for a lot of different people. And I think it's great for people to hear about other other people's experience with COVID. So would you tell us about having COVID and how it's affected your life, where you live and how it's okay. affected your community. Okay. I live in a retirement community in a lovely facility. They've been very careful with this. And I thought I was being careful too. Um, in early December, I went out to uh, take care of some business to mail some packages, stopped for breakfast on the way. And um, it was just a busy day, and I couldn't mail the packages where, where I first went, so I had to go to a different post office packed with people. And my feeling was, well, what difference does it make? You know, we mm. had masks on and everything. Sure. But the following Saturday, the manager of our facility came to my door with a letter and said, you have tested positive. For COVID, I was shocked. So how, how often were you being tested at that point? I honestly don't remember, Luke, maybe a couple of times. Okay. I mean, it was still pretty new. It wasn't new. every day or anything no, like that. No, it was pretty new doing that. Yeah. And no one else, I was the only one in, of, uh, in the independent living part of that community that got COVID. How many people do you think? Uh, I think there are about uh, 36 in that okay. unit. And uh, the other part of it was assisted living and mainly people with issues, uh, physical. And uh, we lost two people, but they had been taken to the hospital for other reasons. Gotcha. And uh, so, uh, but in the meantime, they test the kitchen staff all the yeah. time. If anyone tests positive, or has been exposed, they very carefully let us know. We've gone into quarantine several times yeah. because of being exposed to someone who might have had. So the record where I am is excellent. I am the black mark on wonderful. the record. Oh, really? But, uh, 
But uh, fortunately, I had a very mild case. What were your symptoms? Uh, a very slight fever. Some people have raging fevers. Yeah. I did not have. They supplied me with a thermometer, which I was later billed for. Oh. <laughs> I thought, come on now. You didn't but have a thermometer? I, I had one that I used with my children when they were small. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But they gave you a new one. But they got me a new one, and I checked it daily, sometimes three times a day, just you know, feeling like I was getting feverish, but I yeah. never had a strong high fever. Um, uh, it's kind of settled in my throat, and I did have a sore throat uh, most of the time. Uh, you know, some nasal problems, no cough. A lot of people talk mm. about having Taste a cough. Taste and smell? No, no smell problems. No, I okay. kept thinking I can't have it. I can, I walk. I can smell. Walk in my taste. door and smell the coffee. Yeah. That's a good test. Yeah. Uh, I just, um, so I got through it and uh, two weeks later they tested me and uh, I did not hear the results of the test. And so I wondered what it was. And then mm. a week later they tested everyone again. And finally I asked the nurse doing it. I said, um, when will I know? what the results are. And she said, if they're positive, they'll tell you. But if they're negative, you won't they hear. They just don't say anything. And they don't. So I must have been negative That's then. That's great. Because I hadn't heard. But I was in quarantine for uh, the appropriate period of time. You never went to the hospital? Never had to go to the hospital. That's great. Um, I had had a, a minor stroke a month earlier than that and was in the hospital with that. And what was I, it like being in the hospital during COVID? Terrible. I mean, they are so busy and, uh, you know, it no just. No visitors. No visitors at all. And, uh, you know, it, they are just, they were pushed. I got good care there. There's no question about sure. that. But it was not a good place to be. They're Much just, different. Yeah. Much different than, well, when uh, when I was in before, once I was in with a broken leg, and they kind of bathed you every day. You know, they would gotcha. have the worst cloth, and you would, well, <laughs> this time, I think they gave me a washcloth so I could wash my face. That was the extent wow. of it. I mean, they just don't have time to do things like Too that. Too impacted. And, and I was okay with it. You know, I had a telephone. What else yeah. do you need? And... Uh, but as far as having the COVID, I did have such a, a light case, but <clears throat> it has impacted my stamina. Um, I have to walk a distance to go to the office in the building that I'm in. And by the time I go down there and walk back again, I'm tired. Uh, my lungs are tired. Mm -hmm. I have to sit down. My voice starts getting raspy because my throat has been affected by it. Mm -hmm. And I'm really surprised by those things because I had such a light case of it. Can't but, imagine the people who had a severe case. Oh, my gosh, yes. Or the ones that, that they call the long haulers. Yeah. What they go through, I mean, their whole lives are, even if they recover, their lives are changed by it. mine the changes are minor but i definitely feel them and yeah. i'm i'm kind of surprised i thought i used to be able to do this with no problem 
what happened? Oh, COVID happened. Yeah. Yep. Um, did you get vaccinated? I have, um, uh, with the COVID vaccine. Yeah. yeah both, both shots. Yeah. Wow. So I, I'm in pretty good shape. I'm recovered yeah. and have recovered immunity from that. And I have had both my shots and the, the last shot I had was February 3rd. So it's been a long time. Why um, do you think a lot of people are concerned about getting the vaccine? Well, I think that because sometimes there are problems from the vaccine. And I saw this happen when kids were given polio vaccines. When you guys were little or yeah. when my children, when your mom was little, yeah, there were mothers who didn't want their children to be vaccinated against polio. And so that's not a new thing uh, being anti-vaccination. No, absolutely not. And sometimes I think people would be really fascinated to hear that. So I'm glad well, you said that. Sometimes there were what you might call horror stories where a child was perfectly normal and was vaccinated and had major problems, and from that point on, we're never normal again. Mm. And that's horrible. But the flip side is the millions of children Who had that polio. would have gotten polio mm. or even measles or whatever the communicable disease was. So many were not affected that might have been for the few that were. But if you deliberately take your child and, to be vaccinated and there, something goes wrong, I would think that you would question that for the sure. rest of your life. Sure. Or if you know someone that it happened to. And uh, I, you know, there's no way to know. Yeah. Where Did you know anyone who had polio? Growing up? Yes. Um, I When I was in high school, uh, Earl Warren was governor of the state of California, and his daughter had polio, oh, his wow. youngest daughter. And uh, I went to high school with those kids. Oh, my goodness. Drove, okay. in, the, drove in the governor's mansion on a double date oh, one really? time. <laughs> All right. Yeah. In fact, at my last class reunion, there were only four of us left, and one of them was Earl Warren Jr. and his son. Uh, yeah, his son. Okay. And uh, but uh, then there were a couple of others, and um, one of uh, my friends, a mom, got it, and she had a serious case, and had children to care for, had four children. The children didn't get it, but the mom got it. Wow. And then another friend of mine um, was at a gathering where one of the children had been vaccinated with the, the live virus. And I do not remember what my friend's problem was. Oh, I know, she was newly pregnant. And she picked up the polio virus and and is still embraces to this day. Wow. You know, so you know, they're wonderful for what they prevent, but sometimes there's always exceptions. There is. Just yeah. having a child is risky. Yeah. So uh, uh as far as taking the COVID vaccine, I have 
no hesitation, no hesitation. about that at yeah. all. Yeah, I think it's interesting how polarizing it seems like the last year a lot of things have been polarizing that weren't before, but that has been something um where it's become politicized where it's like if you support it you're this way if you oppose it you're this way and that seems very just contrary to uh, it's hard to, to logic put, yeah putting labels on people's personal yeah. decisions is just dangerous it is uh, i it's just happening a lot but yeah it didn't bother me i put my that's arm great. out there i didn't even wasn't even sore that's great <laughs> Some people spent all day in bed because of it. Yeah. We're all different. Yeah. Um, so you, you've been through a lot in your life and you've, um, you beat COVID. So that's, you can add that to your bucket list. Right. Um, cross it off, I should say. And, um, I think that people would be interested to hear what you want your legacy to be. Um, to your family when oh, you, gosh. when they look back on your life? Uh, you know, <laughs> I would like to feel that my kids loved me and knew that I loved them. Mm. That's it. That's it. I uh, also have to bring up my personal faith. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And not all of my children do. And so that would be something that I would wish for all of them, mm. that they would know Christ as their Savior. And we, were, our family went to church. The Nolan family was in that same church, and I knew the Nolan kids. And, um, in fact, one of my daughters married one of the Nolan <laughs> kids, which is why I'm here with and you. And here I am. <laughs> But, um, you know, that's the legacy is of, of the faith that I have, the hope that I have in, uh, in salvation through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. How does your faith affect the way that you love other people, including your kids, but other people as well? I, um, I, I try to look at them uh, not being judgmental. And darn, that's hard because my first inclination is to mm. try to be judgment or to wonder why and try to uh, look at them understanding that we're all created by a loving God and we all have, we have differences mm. and um, uh, where I live now, I live in a senior residence, and a high proportion of the people are aging out. <laughs> I'm one of them, but I don't have to sit in a wheelchair. Thank you. Uh, I can comb my hair and get myself dressed. Some of them can't even do that. And people would look at them as you know, maybe think she's a bag lady because she's mm. so disheveled or make fun of him. There's one old guy who's got long skinny legs, wears shorts all the time, you know, and, and uh, you look at those people and it's easy to um, kind of write them off as not necessarily making an effort to get to know them, 
because they don't fit the mold. We don't see them as they were as a younger person. And uh, I'm straying maybe from what you asked, but personally, I have um, been trying to connect with those people and listen to their histories. And some of them are just fascinating, where they've been, what they've done, what their family history is. And it's really easy to categorize older people as being too old to care about. Yeah. You know, and uh, I look at them and I think they're, but the grace of God, go I. You know, I mentioned I had a stroke. Yeah. Uh, it affected vision in my left eye and I can't drive because. When did it, you have the stroke? I had it in September. Okay. And. Uh, and we're in March now, so it hasn't been that long. No. Yeah. It was a couple of months before I had COVID. And but I have I can't drive anymore. And darn, I miss that. As you know, I had to get rid of my car. Yeah. And I'm dependent on other people. But I don't have to be pushed in a wheelchair. And I'm grateful for that. I went through that when I had a broken leg and I know what that's like. But um I haven't aged out yet to that point. Have you seen other people um your age who have had similar struggles, but the way that they responded to it or the way that they view it is different from you. Like they always take it. You seem to be finding the positive saying, I can't drive, but I'm not in a wheelchair. Yeah. You, have you known people who've always responded the opposite uh, way? Yes. Yes. And where I live, there are some of those that never have anything positive to share and complain about any irregularity or and this has been a tough time sure for people who aren't happy with themselves yeah being in quarantine i i really enjoy things that i do you know i love to sew i love to read i i watch television there is some wonderful stuff on television if you make the effort to find it and a lot of people don't make the effort, and uh, I feel sorry for them because it's torture for them to be locked in their room, yeah. have meals delivered in a styrofoam box, and uh, it doesn't bother me at all. You know, I'm I I like being at I like being with people, but I I don't mind being alone. Um, we just found out we can have visitors in our room now. Wow, and it. I'm thinking, darn, I have to straighten things up now. I've had had several months where no one's coming. Why do I need to pick up everything and put yeah. it away? So, Katie and I have learned the best way to clean our house is to invite to, someone to over. company, yeah. yes. Yes. And I've always had that approach, and my husband did not understand it, but he's not around to watch. But now <laughs> they will. Just this week, we have reached the point where we are allowed to have visitors in all the way in our room at mm. this point they've had to have 24 hours notice and we would visit in one of the public areas that they put aside for that so uh, it's uh things are opening up but we've had a very good record where i am uh it's at the villas in rockland and yeah. they have been very careful about us i think it's good for people to hear about the positive the winds. I mean, there's been a yeah. lot of negativity, obviously, in the news because that's 
what people seem to want to hear about, yeah. but there's also a lot of places like where you live that have done a really good job of protecting their residents. Well, our, our manager has, uh, you know, taking it on the chin, he's had to make tough decisions. Really? About, you know, closing the dining room uh, and uh, not allowing people to leave or strangers to come in and some things that made people unhappy. But he stuck to it and uh, has done an excellent job of trying to keep us all happy. But it's been a long process, hasn't it? My gosh. I don't think any of us thought it would last this long. I thought the 1st of May last year that there was going to be something that would cause that virus to lose its effectiveness. Yeah. Uh, It didn't happen. (laughs) But it didn't happen. You're right. Uh, but yeah, was you know, amazing. That's been a year. And even though there have been millions of vaccinations, there still are millions more that you know we're not at herd immunity immunity right. by right, a right. long shot. And it'll be wonderful when that happens. But the numbers have certainly decreased. But there are too many people dying from it every day. Yeah. And I am grateful that my number isn't in those because it could well have been. Yeah. Oh. Do you know people who've passed away from COVID? Yes. Um, there are a couple. There's uh, in our church. Uh, there have been two people. That yeah. Have, and, you know, don't know them as close friends, but, you know, you've seen you know them around are. and yeah. know who they are. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been, enlightening to hear different people's perspective and their how it's affected their family and people i talked to a guy the other day who said he's had five family members pass away from covid which is just incredibly devastating that is hard to imagine yeah and i I think Uh, that um his family was late to like not gathering and stuff like that is kind of what he alluded to Um, yes and so you know, he just kind of said, you know, we paid the price, basically. So, But, Luke, um, I, I'm going to bring up a, a family situation that isn't COVID. Mm. But on one weekend in my life, when I was in my early 20s, my husband's grandfather died on, um, like, Wednesday of the week. The family was preparing to take his body down to San Diego to the family plot. My brother-in-law, married to my husband's sister, was a Navy jet pilot, crashed at sea that weekend. My only other brother-in-law, who was married to my sister, was killed in a head-on automobile collision that weekend. We lost three family members within a week. And so when you hear about the numbers that are lost from COVID, um, I'm not saying it's the same, but it happens. You know, it does. Being part of a family, you'll hear about an accident where seven family members are killed. Uh, there was one that happened not too long ago that was in the news that I think five family members. So COVID has taken a lot of family members but we're doing it to ourselves also when we get in the car. Yeah. You know, we take risks 
uh, when we're driving. Do you think that's one of the reasons that people have been so over the top in their response to COVID is because they feel like maybe this is one of the only things that they can control and they feel like the rest of it was out of control and they think if we all just stay home, nobody's going to die? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, you know, just within our own family, we have such different mindsets. Yeah. Uh, you know, your mom goes to work every day and you're you're out and about. Yeah. You're in contact with people. Uh, you have an aunt and uncle. Uh, you know that live up in cool and your aunt Paula has been confined since last March yeah because she's vulnerable and uh, Mike is extremely careful he goes out to golf but he's out of doors yeah he doesn't go into the clubhouse afterwards he comes right home he goes into the garage changes his clothes completely so he's not bringing any germs in cleans up before he goes in the house to be with her. They I've are heard being, a few people who have, who've been doing that. Uh, he's being extremely careful. That is such an act of love. Yeah. To be that careful of your partner that way. And, uh, but then thinking of your other aunt and uncle, Christy and Mark up in Portland, they just are getting their second shot. I don't know if they got it yet, but it's coming on its way. And uh, they've had the first one, the appointment for the second one. And they're going to wait their two weeks time and be in the car to visit their grandchildren. Very nice. (laughs) They cannot wait to see these grandchildren that they have not been able to see. Yeah. And uh, they're going to be coming down and seeing me on Mother's Day weekend they're going to be here very nice so you know they they have immunity from the vaccine but we all know it's not 100 percent immunity sure and but they're they have been careful for a long time and there are others as I said, like your family because of the economics of it yeah just out and about yeah you're out and about and thank the lord you have not contacted it yeah i mean if i haven't had it i'm i would be so shocked yeah i've never gotten very very sick so i don't think i've had it hey listen i remember when you had malaria and you were in my house writhing with a fever (laughs) long time and oh i remember taking you to the hospital that one night when you were just burning up with fever yeah and your mom and dad weren't around yeah uh, so don't tell me you don't get sick, kiddo. <laughs> Grandpa picked me up. I don't know if I told you this story, but he picked me up from the hospital in the middle of the night because they said you can stay overnight or you can call someone to take you home about one in the morning or some, some very late hour for Grandpa. Yes. And he came and picked <laughs> me up and we turned out of the parking lot and the first light we came to is like Lead Hill and Rocky Ridge. Yeah. And... He, he always covered the brake at lights and he was covering the brake. So he was slowing down, but he didn't, he didn't stop. He went right through that red light. kept driving on home. And I thought, well, I've dodged two bullets. I almost died of malaria and I almost died on the way gosh, home. And that I said, is so... Grandpa, I, I think that was a red light. What? Was it? Oh gosh. That's so, I'll have, 
out of character it was for the, him. It was very late hour. Yeah. So we had a good laugh. Oh, gosh. No. Well, you've been sick before, but yeah. Uh, and uh, let's hope you don't experience COVID. Yeah, definitely. But the chances are getting narrower and narrower great. because more and more people. But also a lot more people are not wearing masks. And, uh, you know, I noticed your customers today. I wore my mask and then I noticed none of the other customers. And yeah, they're thinking, look at people, that old lady. She's got her mask on. <laughs> a lot of people wear them and a lot of people don't. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's wild. Well, I want to ask you one more question. Okay. Um, it's about Fourscore. Yes. How has Fourscore impacted your life and... What are some of the things maybe you've seen change over the years? Well, of course, you changed. The location has been the same, but the layout has changed enormously. I loved that little hole in the wall that you had when you first started out. Yeah. Uh, it, it was special. Uh, you know, there was really no place to sit. A little bench against the wall, I think, and benches outside. Yeah. Um, but there was no place to set up your laptop your whole you know, when i walk through the lincoln library here there's hardly a table that doesn't have a device on it that yeah. someone's working on big change the uh, office away from the office and uh and of course the other side the business side um used to be full of people and tables and i miss that yeah you know when I walk in it has sort of an empty feeling and if people don't know that there's the space over here uh, they might miss it all together yeah and yet it, it's always got people in there nicely spaced i love what you did to keep the desks separated yeah. so people can go and sit down and work without anyone facing them you know i i think you've done a good job of Thank keeping you. things as widely spaced as you can in a tough time but um uh, the signage that you have is excellent, but you started out early on having really, you know, you're careful with the signs. I think a handmade sign has some charm to it, but it, uh, not, not as professional. It diminishes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the professional feeling of the place. I think you've made good choices in the beverages that you offer. And I know we've talked about it would be nice if you could offer food. Yeah. But your answer was <laughs> if people could buy lunch there, they'd never they go home. They may never leave, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's just a great, great that you're sensitive to that because people shouldn't Changes be. Changes the environment, yeah. Yeah, and they shouldn't be sitting there all day long. And uh, anyway, um, that's a big change, though, yeah. that's happened. The decor has gone through different changes. You know, the tables have changed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I used to love the area at the end where you had the, the sort of provincial sofa and yeah. the, the chandelier is still there. But yeah. the whole feeling of that was not a practical setting, but it was charming. Yeah. Uh, used to be I, more hodgepodge. Well, I, I like that you have artwork on the walls. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, it's just interesting. When you walk in, it's interesting looking. I mean, I never feel like I come into an empty building. And um, 
So I like that change. Um, I, I like seeing the variety of ages here. You know, there was... Do you think that's unique to Fourscore more than other places? I never go. I feel like it is. I never go to another coffee shop. <laughs> Thank you. That's the right answer. Uh, uh, I have never seen. Well, um, there was one where I used to take Grandpa when he had Alzheimer's. I would drop him off at a place, and there was another coffee shop in the parking lot area. Yeah. And I went in there, and they had some sofas where people could sit and they had tables along by the windows. And I, first day I dropped grandpa off, I went in there and got coffee and sat in one of those tables and just cried because that was a big step to admit yeah. that, that he needed to be somewhere other than with me. And I thought no one was noticing me because I was had a book in front of me and was kind of up against the wall. And on the way out, a lady that was kind of standing along there, uh, she'd had her order already, but I guess she'd been observing. And as I walked by and she said, is there something I can help you with? Mm. She said, I notice you're having a problem. And I thought, that's sweet. Because so many of people there were so self-involved. Yeah. I thought no one's even noticing, you know, I'm getting away with it. I can sit here <laughs> and cry and no one's noticing. But they were. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were caring about it. Uh, and one of the things that I loved one day when I saw it here um, before COVID, it, that table full of elderly people my age playing cards. Yeah. And I thought, they're just coming here camping and playing cards. And, and Luke lets him. No, you yeah. didn't try to break it up or anything like that. I, it's, it's a, it's, there are many, um, I think, myths that people hold on to. And they have, people ask me the same question all the time, all different types of people, too. They say, um, how do you keep people from staying too long? And that's, it, to me... In, in my f business philosophy, it is a myth. And I know that it's a problem for some people. You know, maybe your coffee shop's across the street from a college and students yeah. sit there for six hours. But to me, it can never be a, a pure problem if there's all the seats are full. It can't be a pure problem. It can be um, maybe an obstacle to growth because you might have people coming in who cannot sit down now. Yeah. But it's not, it's not just a problem like the shops burning down with fire. That's a problem. But it is a, it's a good problem. It is something that requires innovation and maybe a, a little bit, maybe you need to expand your seating. Maybe you need to open another location. But um, when people want to come and sit and enjoy your space, whether it's playing cards or opening up their laptop or having a business meeting or there, there's a gentleman who sat and tutored students for hours. And I mean, he makes money tutoring students in our space, but the fact that he's here to me is more important than the fact that he's taking up a seat. So that's been my business philosophy and I think uh, it's worked. Have you ever uh, seen any statistics on what the turnover needs to be to keep it profitable? I haven't. I, haven't. I think that's something I would need to look at in the future. But um, 
Right now, I, I just take it organically. Great. You know, as long as you're able to pay your staff and yeah. make a living for yourself, and now that you're a father, you've got different responsibilities. Right. right. But uh, as long as it's going okay, you keep doing what you're doing. I am very proud of you, Oh, Luke. thank you. <laughs> I mention often, my grandson has a coffee house. Where is it? Uh, most people have never heard of historic old Roseville. Yeah, isn't that amazing? But I'll say, well, it's by the Boxing Donkey or by Pacific Cafe. And quite often, they'll know one people or the know other. One, one of those is, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, it's with great pride that I say that because I know if they come here, they're going to have a good experience. Thank you. Well, it's been an amazing journey. And like I said at the beginning, you've been really influential with things that you've told me. And I think that even more than that, things that I learned from you over my childhood and being around you and grandpa and my parents and the things that you influenced in my mom's life that she passed on to me have been hugely instrumental in making me the person that I am. And so I wanted to share you with people um, and hopefully encouraging some people as they listen and watch and understand that, you know, I didn't do it all by myself and no one should try to do it all by themselves, but they should rely on others who've gone before them. You know, there are some people who have put up walls um, between the generations and they mm -hmm. don't want to hear it from their parents or their grandparents. They're yeah. quite happy figuring it out by themselves. And uh, I feel blessed that you do not have that attitude and that you include us in the experience as you were making decisions. I know you asked or told me about the locations you were considering, and I felt this was the worst choice you could make. <laughs> <laughs> so might have you, been still. <laughs> yeah. The you, other ones might have done much better. Well, you didn't change direction, and it's a wonder. You know, when I see people standing around outside, and, uh, and I appreciate the fact that you choose not to be open on Sunday, mm. I think that... That's a decision that's hard to make. It is. But I think that um, it's been honored in many ways. And you've gotten recognition and brought business in through other ways that being open on Sunday might not have made the difference. Um, yeah. So I'm... Business is all about making hard decisions and just charging forward despite what other people might think. Uh, you're... Uh, you no, know, when you're talking about making decisions, you know, having a store like I did, a salesman would come in with several books of fabric lines and color lines, making decisions about which we will choose. You know, you don't choose everything because you can't. Right. So what's going to sell and what isn't going to sell? And, uh, and you don't have a chance to second guess it. You know, the season comes and it sells. Or the season leaves and it's left over. Fortunately, that doesn't happen with coffee, I don't think. I Not think as bad. It's pretty much yeah. year-round. So the decisions that you make are totally different than the kind of decision that I made in my business. Mm. But we're all making decisions based on the needs of our customer and what's available to offer to the customer. And... Uh, 
with um, careful concern, you trust that decision that you're making is the one that's going to help you be successful. And I've done, I think you've done a great job in doing that, Luke. Thank you. Well, you heard it here first on the Proclamation Podcast. Joan Connolly, entrepreneur extraordinaire, my grandmother, <laughs> our guest today. Thank you for being with us. This has been the Proclamation Podcast. Um, so we'll leave you once again with that, that we all have to make decisions and we all have to deal with the consequences of our decisions. But continuing to plunge forward and to encourage one another with these conversations and with these stories. So thank you for sharing your story with us and being here today, Grandma. My pleasure.